0: where are we supposed to Where are we supposed to triddle our thumbs and wait until you acknowledge us as full citizens deserving of the things that we're supposed to be getting basic rights and healthcare, sweetie i'm uh-uh, i'm so sorry
1: welcome to the under the sycamore tree podcast i'm your host carla moore of morta ge we are delighted to invite you to our yard to whole space under the sycamore tree. Waste another episode. Stats and storytelling for the Day. In this episode, we'll bring you a very full conversation I hosted with three organizations from three different islands. What me a heart out your mind. Cock up your foot and make about good time. First is Sarah Ann Gresham, co-founder of Intersect Antigua, based in Antigua and Barbuda. Intersect Antigua is a Caribbean feminist collective committed to gender justice and to centering the experiences and needs of the most marginalized among us, including queer, trans and non-binary people, and those with disabilities who are Black, Indigenous, and identify as people of color. Intersect is here to reimagine a world where Caribbean women, men, and non-binary people are free to live and love in societies where they are cared for and cherished. Shante Porchos, who at the time of our discussion was health and wellness officer at WeChange JA based in Jamaica, Women's Empowerment for Change, or WeChange, is a feminist organization. Focused on advocating for and with lesbian, bisexual, and queer women. We Change is focused on equipping women with the tools to advocate and become activists for the creation of a world that recognizes and protects the rights of all people, regardless of nationality, socioeconomic status, ability, race, gender, or sexuality. Danae Fairweather, Director of Publicity and President of the Board of Or Circle based in Venice. OR Circle advances legal and lived equality for LGBT-formed family units and for those who wish to form them through building community, changing hearts and minds, and driving policy reform. I led this conversation in mid-2022, and we cover many things, including how our organizers, communities, and priorities have changed over time. The beautiful and challenging aspects of being in community, particularly community across diversity. All these groups are benchmarking community, what the grassroots means to each of our organizers and their organizations. And how these organizers and their communities are holding and keeping one another through COVID-19. Now, y'all, as I've said, this is a very Discussions. I'm gonna go ahead and keep my little intro and contextualizing section short so we can get straight into it. We'll be discussing topics that some listeners may find triggering, including abortion, domestic violence, HIV AIDS, sexual reproductive health, mental health, and class. We understand that these topics can be difficult to hear about. And we want to remind our listeners that it's okay to take a break if you need to. What does it mean to be in community? Let's hear first from Sarah Ann from Intersect Antigua, who so deftly delves into the differences which exist beyond the intergenerational within and across Caribbean communities. I'll so stick up in. Right, yes, so make sure you go back to the previous episode, Eldership and Selfishness, so you can listen to the conversation with Larry Cham, queer organizing elder and founder of Jamaica's Gay Freedom Movement, and Lucien Hovart of Carrie Flags, to hear how we cover intergenerational differences in Caribbean organizing. Right, make sure you listen to that before you listen to this. All right, so back to Sarah Ann on our differences in queer communities. Let's start with the basics. First, Who in the world decided that queers were on a community anyway? Such a complicated
2: uh, topic um, because I've been thinking about community more and more. um, What possibilities it um, provides, what it forecloses, simultaneously. Um, But in terms of the community intersects and t deserves, we definitely um, been very intentional about naming queer communities, especially virtual um, queer communities in Antigua but also around the Caribbean region. Um in Antigua and Barbuda there aren't there's a dearth of 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 spaces. There are hardly any spaces, public spaces, <clears throat> excuse me, public spaces where where Antigans can organize, where they can, you know, speak to their experiences. We tend to invoke community as always already political and, and radical and liberatory, and it's not always like that. And so one of the things that I kind of grace against frequently is the, the terminology LGBTQ community. What does it mean? To, what does it mean to say something is an LGBT community? Um, and I feel like that tends to collapse different. It collapses complexity. We don't really think about the ways in which um, community, as somebody said, just ends up becoming a descriptor for shared minoritization that obscures difference. We have people in LGBTQ communities who are middle class to upper class from economic backgrounds, who tend to organize around marriage equality while ignoring the immediate material needs of lower-income queer people um, in the Caribbean. Um, And so what does it mean to be part of a community where the most visible faces in that community are organizing around needs that depart from the ones that you have? I definitely think that Sometimes we don't often talk about the ways that are, that communities, um, especially grassroots-based um, communities, are created and not found. Um, and there's also an there's often an assumption of expertise right off the bat in the formation of grassroots um, communities. So when Intisoft and Inga started um, its first online space. We weren't, and we weren't experts by any stretch of the imagination. We were still in school. We were still learning. Okay, what, is, what does feminism mean? People weren't really using the word queer um, at that time. Um, a few years back, um, although we did center people from LGBTQ communities in Antigua. Um, and then one of the things that I realize now, looking back, is the way that. Um, our approach took on a sort of word of mouth, snowball kind of, oh, I know this person who X, Y, and Z, let's bring them into the space, and this other person knows that other person. And while that can be good, there's a way in which, you know, our positionality, perhaps as, you know, coming from privileged backgrounds, may preclude bringing people into the space from you know diverse backgrounds who might not share in our experiences and so i was thinking about what you mentioned earlier about urban versus rural communities and i am from st john's i live in the capital of Antigua and barbuda i don't know i know people i went to school with but in terms of from the community i'm not very familiar with people from rural communities um, and also the fact that because a lot of our activism was concentrated and is concentrated in the digital sphere, there are a lot of people who tend to get left out of that kind of grassroots organizing, like elderly people and, again, um, perhaps people who might not have the means to access consistent income um, to be able to participate in that kind of work. And so I, 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 I just want to name... A lot of the limitations that come from um grassroots organizing from the formation and not you know thinking of it as always already perfectly constructed okay here's the perfect grassroots organizing structure that we have uh, and so we're still definitely trying to account for the pitfalls and the gaps within the organizing
1: work okay so how do we go back reassess and shore up these fundamentals or does the whole thing just well burn down you know be composted and rebirthed well listen to Shante of we change from jamaica who masterfully covers what such rebirth should look like returning to the heart's center and from there moving in embodied ways ways that honor and move through or somatic alchemies. now I don't know about you but i love that term somatic alchemist and we have used it a couple of times under this sycamore tree and i want to big up shanty for giving this language to us because literally language makes the world we're living in shanty you are your brain right true would right true
0: uh we just get us to the dolly them specifically our queer dollies And in doing that, you know, we know that, yes, we're doing work for all women, but we'd like to center the difficulties that queer women face. And community for us is a hard practice. It's not just focusing on legislative reform, but what are the other things that we're going to need in the community? The Dalai need grosses, they need assistance with health, they need assistance with rent. And there's just a vast amount of resources that are needed beyond just reform and it's how do we act from a place of love and awareness and community to better root ourselves in our practice of community and so community for us is also rooted in spirituality and that creates a political response it's knowing these are the things that we want collectively this is how we want it to look uh, what are you going to do to give it to us and if you're not willing to give it we're going to take it because women for centuries have been waiting on people, specifically men, to give them the things that they deserve. And at this rate, it's like, we're tired of waiting now. We need the things them, but we'll get the things them. You can't want the last of them, but you see right your son right now? We're we'll going to need better support. And so we've been reframing what that looks like for us and how we're practicing community as a team to better expand it to the general community, It's showing up for each other, it's centering rest and care. We have our wellness check-in um, as a team. We're doing team gatherings and we also lean heavily into our elder communities. Little uh, persons have been doing this work long before Mabon, long before Carla Bon, and they continue to do this work. And how does that motivate us? How does that keep us centered and grounded towards the goals that we want? Well, for us, uh, we change grassroots really translates to us as community informed work and so
1: we have to know
0: what's happening in our community
1: Danae of our circle brings us back to belize and back to our families can we claim and seed and cultivate queer communities communities of choice numerous diverse and networked that are grounded in or which at least center queer women-led families and which ones of us have been doing this the entire time? Which for me is the question of the hour because Sweden is being done.
3: Okay. Well, for me or for us, I, I, when I think of community, I think of a group of people who have common interests and and common goals. Um, for us, the community that we serve at our circles, specifically families and specifically lgbt form the families. And so our community is a community of people um, with the common goal of wanting to be included in the definition of family, in the general definition of family in Belize. So wanting that inclusion, social and legal inclusion for our families, um, for well, so our families and families that are, uh, I guess, in the family structure that is not uh, that heterotypical heteronormative one mommy, one daddy kind of structure. So that is what we would consider our community that we serve. Our circle, as the name implies, it's our circle. Um, we originally started as a social group, assistant. So we, you know, we kind of naturally became this grassroots organization because majority of the community, majority of the people in the community that we serve are from that, um, demographic, um, most of the, the LGBT persons living in Belize are grassroots, um, from that, you know, and it, if why I think why we have this grassroots approach is we kind of have to, I, I don't want to, well, yeah, that's literally what grassroots is. They're kind of starting from the bottom up. Um, in our case, a lot of our LGBT persons are living in poverty or they have a lot of barriers to employment, uh, a lot of barriers to a lot of things uh, which affect, mm-hmm. which also trickles down into other things, right? And and that's one of the things that a lot of people I think don't understand. A lot of us, a lot of people in our community kind of have to start over their lives when they come out as whatever they, they come out as, um, especially with people who come out as trans as well, but in but in general, like if literally starting over I'm like so in some cases, right? So that is why I think
1: the grassroots approach is, is helpful. It's yeah. so beneficial. So. Let us take up the fundamentals of queer communities seriously. We brought these organizers in conversation together because all of their organizations took on some form of community benchmarking, collecting stories and statistics to assess exactly who and what is within their queer communities, as well as the stories community members want to share with one another. For Intersect. This is their mission. Their literary magazine is very much an archive, benchmarking interiorities, individual and collective, through the stories we have for one another. Our circle undertook a demographic survey of same-sex couples in Belize in 2019, which continues to inform their work to this day and provides crucial statistics to amplify their work. Finally. WeChangeJA has undertaken a few different surveys. Most notably, they surveyed whether and how queer women are represented in mainstream Caribbean media. Intersect Antigua or Circle and WeChange are not the only organizations whose work takes benchmarking seriously in fact if you look at our movement as a whole through the lens of these wvl grantees one of the most crucial things you will learn is the importance of benchmarking documenting and archiving our collectivities and our works funders hello oh dear are you hearing us Uh, we know this ain't the sexiest programming for y'all but this is what we need because we do need an answer to this question posed by gerain Founder of Rebel Women Lit and producer of this podcast. Which came first, the funding or the community? So, without further delay, baby, let's get into it. Here are the highlights from my nearly two and a half hour long discussion with Sarah Ann, Shanti, and Dene. There are a lot of kind of dominant conversations about homophobia lesbophobia transphobia in the region and a lot of times it's oh you know jamaica is the country where it, it's really bad and then the other countries are either not considered not mentioned or there is an idea that oh it's not as bad there so you have the no, no, no country that is like the mark off or as terrible as it can get and sometimes other countries um the things that people have to deal with the ground are not explored at length it's not given the respect or the, the, the content the consideration that is needed so Antigua Antigua and Barbuda when we talk about this experience of you know homophobia and queerphobia there is a sense that it's not really an issue there things are okay on the ground Sarah from your perspective is this an accurate depiction of what your communities are dealing with Homophobia,
2: queerphobia does not exist in Antigua, um, and I am tempted to make an Avatar reference. I don't know if anybody here has watched Avatar: The Last Airbender, when their their Judy kept keeps saying that there is no war in Boston City as the war is raging outside, and so every time I hear people saying, "Yeah, queerphobia," tra- homophobia—that homophobia, doesn't really exist. I just, I just think of, of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Homophobia does not exist in Boston Day, um, and so of course it's absolutely ludicrous, and it's yeah. just a way for obscuring the way that power continues to shape experiences of oppression. Um, um, I, I, I think of the what you might call it our. Sexual Offences Act, which is yeah. our, you know, colonial inheritance, um, that basically accounts for the way new modalities of govern of governance have taken shape to to control and arrange queer people's lives, constrict their lives, subject them to violence, legitimate violence, um, and so it's it's really just funny to me how you know. Um, ministers of government and just people in general would literally be holding this legislation in their hands while saying while making pronouncements of the inexistence of homophobia on it i just i just i don't know i don't know there aren't enough words to fully describe how i feel about that um but it is something that It is definitely intentional and it's just a way for them to avoid accountability for something that is in plain sight, but obscured through their words. Just really being grounded in the political organizing work to name sites of power and how it continues to inform adverse experiences of
1: homophobia, queerphobia, transphobia is absolutely important. It's always been interesting to me where, how, even when it comes on to oppression, we're so committed to building a hierarchy. So we're so committed to using one experience to judge another experience and to use one experience to try to delegitimize another experience. Even when the things that we're dealing with is people's day-to-day survival and just trying to lead quality lives for themselves. Um, so building on that discussion of sites of power and you know who gets to be in the room and who is left out Shantae, one of the things that you've been very clear is that this is about the right it is a woman centered space and, and the, so could you talk to us a little bit about transitioning away from this kind of man-dominated queer space, this queer movement that is dominated by men and their priorities and their needs. Can you tell us a little bit about WeChange and and that doing that type of work?
0: Right. So that started in twenty sixteen. Uh, WeChange was born from just queer women who would have been in the male predominant spaces, saying, you know, we're not seeing ourselves represented in the conversation. Um, a lot of the research that we were seeing, a lot of the reports was specifically on the difficulties, the oppression that men were facing or persons who were more male-aligned. But we weren't seeing ourselves and we we're like, no man, what did all of them need for to have us say? So women's issues still aren't taken seriously. And when I mean seriously, I do mean beyond the reports, what comes next? What is the support that's going to be offered? How do you ensure that there's longevity of it you how do you ensure that there's succession planning to make sure that the work still continues because realistically our government systems do not actually work they do not actually provide us with what we need to survive in the society that we live in we know that we need to make sure that there is cultural change and the only way that we can do that is through education is through being mobilized through the government offices because they have the funding for it they have the different offices they're able to push that message and create legislation to make it happen. But if they're not doing the work, what are we able to do in our individual communities? How do we start those conversations? How do we hold ourselves and our family members accountable? Because that is also an, um, like a huge challenge because our our families are still focused on men being the leaders, even though we're very matrifocal, we're very matriarchal, we're led by women. Women take up the most Space in the home because it's been forced upon us. Yet still, we aren't represented in any of the spaces that we need to be in. And so, when we transitioned, some that we started to reevaluate what soft spaces were needed for women to exist in. How could we exist in the hard spaces that existed? Reaffirming ourselves and making sure that we we're speaking up for the things that we needed to see changes in. And you know, there were persons who were doing the work before we changed. And so it was connecting with those women, uh, being mentored by them, being held by them, being held accountable by them to better prepare ourselves for the next level of the work that we're going to do. And so even now, that's why a big part of the work that we do is focusing on our elder communities to say, you know, this is what we did. You are here right now at this monumental time where you can enact change. What is it that what is that going to look like? Is it that we're still looking for equality? Because if that's the conversation, what are we trying to be equal to? Um, and just how are we going to carry that work forward as queer as queer folks? We could say we want to change the legislation. The parliamentary process does not make sense because we've been submitting we've been submitting so many requests for changes in legislation, and we've been given the run our own. So, how do we create spaces for ourselves? ourselves to exist in, Um, who do we get to buy in, what do our allies look like, Uh, and just you know, recreating and rethinking those different spaces has been a big part of the work as to how we're now centering queer women in what we do.
1: As, As I'm listening, what I'm hearing is that each group, each community is making strategic decisions around what is needed and what is going to be most productive. So, if engaging the political process is what feels most productive, then do that. If looking at the political process and being like, you are going to take too long and we're going to start providing things for ourselves, why don't try to work through that machinery is what's productive, then do that. And I love that we can get all of that inside of one conversation because what it shows us is there is no one right way to engage in this type of advocacy and community building work. The right way is actually going to be led by your community. When you look at your community and you understand what they need, and when you understand the context that you're working in, when you've foregrown community, that's the thing that's going to make sure that you're on the right path. And with that, then I'd, lo- I'd like to move over to the So when we're thinking about the Penelizian context, homosexuality is not... Ex- Explicitly criminalized in Berlin but there are still hurdles that folks need the job so and there's because we know that your context is so diverse there are also racial and gender differences that folks need to navigate as they do this work to try to have fulfilling lives so could you tell us a little bit about that a little bit about some of the differences in your community and how our circle you know, works with those to try to create change that is actually impactful for your context. In
3: 2011, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm getting the year right, 2010-2011. Um, so it's no longer criminalized explicitly, but because of the way our, our laws are written, we are excluded um, from a lot of these legislations. and. You say excluded because it's there's nothing explicit that says um two persons of the same sex cannot adopt children, but it's just the way that the lies written, it doesn't provide for people who are uh, not opposite sex couples to you know, to at uh, to have families adopt their children and things
1: like that. Yeah, thank you. Sarah, I appreciate that you've you know, raise the issue of COVID nineteen because it is something that communities and organizations actively have to grapple with. And so if if you would like to say a little bit more about how your community and your organization have been, you know, impacted and kind of had to transition as a result of COVID nineteen, I would love to hear a little more. Of
2: course. Um so one thing I will say is that intersect has always assumed an online presence more so than a physical presence from the very onset of our organizing well and part of that is we, we i was a, i was in school in antigua at the time and so like not having any kind of resources to be able to move around to be able to mobilize and so on and not that people without resources can't do that kind of work. Of course, they do that work all the time without having um, funding. Um, but we've always been online for that reason. Um, and it was aneka and I initially at the helm for a very long time. Um, but in terms of transitioning from the COVID-19 pandemic, because we were always online, it became a matter of not so much moving into a different plane or moving into a different space, but amplifying that work that we were already doing within online. Uh, So
0: for us, a lot of things happened when we had to go online. Um, We weren't able to get through to as many persons because a lot of people were losing their jobs, so they couldn't afford service. And then if they had any other challenges coming up, just loss of any equipment, we realized it was more difficult getting in contact with people. And so, or social media presence at sometimes you were like, are we being too much? Is it too overwhelming? Are people in a space to receive us and receive our message? And then we were like, all right, complete 180. We're going to do self-care Sundays. And for that, it was just come together, come to be in community. You're going to dance. You're going to journal. You're going to meditate. You're going to talk about niceness. You're just going to enjoy each other's company, so you don't have to feel like you're coming online to do more work. It's just a, a space for you to be and exist. Earlier on in the pandemic, we knew that women were going to be hit the most. And so the first um, iteration of our community response or our community aid was to prepare you know, chemicals and disinfectants and buy them in bulk, making them in small packages, delivering the packages throughout Kingston. St. Saint Andrew, St. Saint Andrew, Saint Catherine, um, we even end up at St. Elizabeth because we knew someone from the parish and we were able to distribute them. And we were like, yeah. I'll wait again. Um, one of our community members who had a farm, they were able to like donate food to us on a weekly basis so we could offer it to people. Um, one of our funders, Astria, provided us with a grant so we were able to provide the groceries. So we went package them out same way, distribute them to people. Eventually, we were able to access grocery cards and distribute them further across the island. And then we said, you know what? A lot of funders aren't going to support us in the same way as Astria.
2: Sarah, I see your hand is up. Yeah, I just wanted to add something. Um, yeah. To the conversation about the pandemic and... It's making me think about the ways that the pandemic it be, has become structurally managed. And I'm thinking about the ways that um, queer Caribbean people or Caribbean people's time becomes, you know, so often systematically stolen from them. They're always at the capacity, always working against burnout, barely have the time to address harm, barely have the time or the tools to heal their own wounds, even collectively. Um, And so I'm just thinking about, you know, how can we center, you know, transformative justice work in in our organizing to address harm, to reach community in a way that includes time, both as a category of analysis and as an object, an intangible object with with psychosocial effects that can be returned to organizers? How can time be returned to us? How can
1: we, move, you know, away from burnout? Yes, I see that Shante hand is up. I just want to say, it's not age catching up with you. Spending enough time alive teaches you the things you need to care for yourself. So if you're taking a nap in the middle of the day, because you're old enough to know that you need a nap, It's a you're tired, because you're old. (laughs) Shante, (laughs) what do you have to
0: say? Uh, It's really supporting what Sarah Ann said. One, I believe in naps, and I do take my naps between 11 and 2. Simply because rest is transformational and it's integral in justice, I feel, especially for the work that we're doing. Burnout, I think, has become a norm in activist and advocacy spaces that we don't even realize it. But I think this pandemic allowed for us to sit down and say, wow, we've been going, going, going nonstop. And that would have been our lives if the pandemic really hadn't sat everybody down and said, here wanna, timeout. Everything else is stop, keep Um, and so for the team, it's also me telling them, I'm so sorry. It sounds like you're experiencing burnout, but you still want to keep going. You're on timeout. And a part of our code of conduct is we've written in time off for the group. Um, you're encouraged to take it. And if you, you think you're not going to take it, we're going to tell you it's time you need to
1: tap out. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that we changed on in terms of kind of like archiving where the community is, or, you know, getting like actual figures or collections of stories that help us to understand where your community is at a particular moment in time.
0: So that predominantly has been in our health research. Uh, uh, it was the health seeking behaviors of LBQ women and transmax folks. And uh, we realized, you know, a lot of persons don't wanna access medical or healthcare in Jamaica. Granted, that story or the research spanned eight different countries, and so from the research we realized that there is a lot of discrimination that happens within the medical profession. And you would think that because it's such a highly rated profession that they'd have gotten um, a lot of training in how to deal with persons, or just the fact that everyone is a human being. And if I come into your office and I'm here to get assistance for a medical issue you'd address that my sexuality should not come into play um, but in the cases of trans folks it's at least at the very least for you to utilize the pronouns that I've indicated that I would like to be addressed by and you know just in public hospitals especially oh here God. rampant discrimination um, persons have indicated that you know they feel like they're mistreated by medical professionals but who do you report it to um a lot of persons don't know that you can report to the medical association of jamaica but then the turn around time for your report to be taken seriously and a lot of persons do not want to seek help at public facilities so whether or not they have the money one of two things are going to happen they are going to self-medicate at home using bush remedies or two they are going to borrow money or ask for assistance to see a private physician
1: and then to stay with you, what what do you, what is the action you want your politicians to take? Holy, there's, so many. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> right, there's so many things.
3: Um right now we have this equal opportunity bill that has been pending since I don't know 2010. I don't even remember. Um since I think 2015, and then it was revamped in 20. I think it was 2020, like it was right before the, the pandemic, if you're right around then. And then it was just um, overshadowed because the Equal Opportunity Bill is a bill for those who don't know um, that addresses several issues for several mi- minority groups and marginalized groups, including LGBT persons, persons living with disabilities, uh, women, indigenous people, so racial minorities as well. Uh, yeah. persons living with HIV and AIDS, etc. However, because, because our our community is what it is, um, it, the LGBT issues overshadow the rest mm-hmm. of the, um, the other issues. Or, I wouldn't say overshadowed, I would say the community, the wider community interpreted, interpreted the bill to be just an LGBT bill because one of the persons who are who were the, on the forefront was a very flamboyant gay man. And you yeah. know, he says, that's just all the "Oh, they say a gay man. Oh, it's a gay bill thing done. When in actuality, it's not a gay bill. It, yeah, it it, it protects yeah, several people, but nobody sees that. They just see the flamboyant gay man and, you know, and what happened. And so what I think I would want from our politicians is to have some backbone because what happened is that bill was Right around election time, and because people were people who were miseducated about this bill um, were causing some uproar, particularly the religious communities. And the bill was supposed to be passed before the election, and it wasn't. It was pushed back, and I think it was because the government was afraid of, you know, yeah. seeing votes. And so, I think what I would want from our politicians is to have a little bit more backbone, not because. A few people are making noise about an issue. We have to just disregard that issue.
0: And queer groups have made submissions countless times. That makes sense. You've created the outline for the acts. All you really need to do is vote on them. So I'm not really sure what it is that is hindering you. Realistically, I think there isn't enough critical analysis being done by our parliamentarians. I think they don't know their job. I think they don't know that they're supposed to be revising legislation that is going to benefit the entire country. I'm not sure if they're picking up on that in the job description, and as such, they should give up the work. Um, and honestly, I want them to be more informed about what's happening and be willing to make the change knowing that you asked me for a job, I gave you said job. If you're not performing, either resign or get fired. Uh, because the revision to the abortion um law has been it's been typed out from 2007 and i'm like so why would you ask me again to make submissions in 2019 for you to comment on me in 2021 i'm so sorry that's no longer on the table we have to go through this process all over again and i want politicians to acknowledge um queer voices as valid as valuable and as citizens of jamaica i think very often unless you're performing advocacy in a way that supports them or performing advocacy and queerness in a way that does not go against the status quo they're willing to listen to you um, i know that we've had some you know just a little bit of hashing it out on the internet when we did our online protest we were called vulgar we were told that that wasn't the way to do it and we were saying But we've utilized the mechanism that you've said that we're supposed to um, do the work through and still we're here waiting. So what is the truth exactly?
1: If there was no limit on funding that was available to you, no restrictions at all, you had all of the funding that you needed to do whatever you needed to do for your community, what is the thing that you would do? What is the first thing that you would do if you were living in a world where there were no, there was no limit on fund the funding that was available to your organization?
2: So, you know, a lot of the funding that we get goes toward the work, goes toward producing outcomes, goes toward, quote unquote, productivity. And I have productivity in air quotes because I I don't like that, that term at all. Um, and so what about our material needs? What about our basic needs? What about Health insurance for people who are dedicating so much of this time, getting sick while doing this organizing work, not having any kind of social protections in place for when you know things like that happen, and this is something that I've often raised in 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 meetings with funders. You know, we need to have an income. You know, the money can't all go to doing the work, and um, I guess. This happens to everybody in, in the Caribbean doing this kind of work. And it's another form of reproductive labor that women often have the shoulder, right? This invisible organizing work that falls onto the shoulders of, of women and where people in general in the Caribbean region. And it, it can't continue to happen.
3: I see definitely, and this is kind of piggybacking of what Sarah said, but definitely um, that providing that psychosocial support for our communities. So the things um, like the care packages and things like that, that we c- we have provided to some people, but we aren't able to reach everybody. That is definitely something that I could see us doing more of because those things are so important. Because if these people are, uh, if, the, if the people in our community don't have access to basic needs right all the workshops about spreading awareness and all of that but if at home they don't have the access to the basic needs they won't they might can't come to the workshop because of the things going on at home and all of that so definitely similar to what Sarah said that I would love to be able to provide that for everybody across the country. So many
1: groups have can show land land we need for can provide food for ourselves we need to can opt out going to supermarket every week because supermarket expensive you know then it talks about we want to give people the things that they need to care for the body like we want to make sure so people can bid and eat and have dignity in themselves and more and more what i'm hearing is the structure that we're living in doesn't serve us the structure that we're living in does not uphold our dignity it does not give us the capacity to, to lead a life that feels well pain and it is not about trying to shift that structure all the time sometimes we just need to opt out right we just need to opt out right and what are the implications of the fact that we live on in a country where we we can we produce food we do produce food, we grow we farm but people cannot afford to buy the things that are for sale that are being farmed in their own country you know it's it's a lot <laughs> it is a lot i knew this podcast was going to hurt my feelings But what this point,
0: it's amazing because you get to sit with it and then you get to reimagine with your community. How are we going to respond? We're going to work through it. We're going to feel it and go through it.
1: Our organizations have activated the portal of benchmarking. And when we actually track the wants and needs of our communities and collectives, we really need to question why legislative change has been so central to our movements, especially at the expense of other, perhaps more crucial work. Let us seal this episode by turning again to Colin Robinson, our ancestral guide. Hear his echo, this time from his Carib Nation TV interview given in 2020, just shortly before his transition. He is interviewed by Carib Nation's Abby Charles.
2: We also have to make the work um, rewarding and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Very often, when you talk about working on the essence people groan. You know, it feels like going to the dentist. Mm-hmm. And uh, the work that we do has to be, because we care about each other, because we, you know, feel a certain sense of connection and a commitment to each other. That's driving the work, and we're not doing it because of political correctness or because, you know, teacher said so.
1: I love that we've leaned into the question of what is community. And I'd also like to ask, what does it mean and take to live in a body? In a queer body, in a disabled body, in a Black body, in an Indigenous body, in a body that remembers abuse from this lifetime or passed on from our elders? And what kind of support do we need from our partners our community and the state what does it take to live a queer life that also feels good feels free all the way down to our toes listen i know that research can be boring and sometimes we think it's just a show and that you know we write these fantastic reports and then they just go and stagnate somewhere but this stuff actually matters Knowing who we are and what we want is the only way we can build a world that supports all of ourselves. And these organizations are doing it. One survey, one story, one day at a time. And I love them for that. Connect with the organizations we've covered in this episode. See our show notes to learn how you can find Intersect Antigua, We Change GE, and Our Circle from Belize on social media. This episode was produced by Rebel Women Lit and Queerly Stated, with support from Australia Lesbian Foundation for Justice, Equality Fund, and Global Affairs Canada. Research and writing by Jackie Brown. Script editing and project management by Devan Moses. Editing and sound by Jerrine Patmore and Sophia Chenier. And outreach by Ashley Daly. Remember to head on over to the show notes to find the details of the organizers featured in our episode. And rebelwomenlit.com for additional references. Thank you so much for joining me, your host, Carla Moore, Under the Sycamore Tree.